0: Before we get started, can we just thank uh, the worship team, but also remember we could never hear the worship team without those that operate the sound and the slides back there, so let's acknowledge them. It's, it's you know, certain things prompt certain memories, and when I, when I come here in the mornings, they hand me this pack to put on and to be miked up and things like that, and it always reminds me of one time I went and spoke at a church, and I was the guest speaker, and the guy uh, hands me the microphone and this thing, and I, I start to clip it, and he, he reaches over and he grabs my shirt and starts pulling my shirt out. And he says, oh, no, our pastor runs it up under here. I said, well, <laughs> we're not doing that today. <laughs> so anyway, so thank you all for the great work that you do. Uh, I have two sons. One is... Um, In Indianapolis uh, cooking he's a a chef at a restaurant my other son is in college in Indianapolis and when my second son who's in college when he was much younger he had a a friend who was our neighbor and uh, his friend's name was Charlie and Charlie was a girl Uh, but uh, Charlie and Adam would play together and uh, on one day they were playing on our deck and our deck was right off of our kitchen and I was in the kitchen and they were throwing a frisbee back and forth and all of a sudden Uh, they stop, and there's no sound out on the deck. And I look out, and they're both turned towards the house, looking up like this at the house. And I thought, I wonder what happened. But, you know, obviously if they need something, they'll come in. Well, sure enough, they came in almost immediately after that. And my my son looks at me, and he goes, Dad, he said, "Um, our Frisbee's gone. I said, what do you mean it's gone? He said, it's on the roof, and I can't get it. Will you get it for me? I said, sure. So I went and got the ladder and got the Frisbee. Now, the reason I share that story is because it kind of is a a microcosm of how things often work, right? There's bad news and hopefully good news. Uh, This morning, one of the things we want to do is talk about uh, the, the gospel. And the gospel is exemplified in that story. Because the bad news is, we can't function, right? The Frisbee's gone, and the bad news, you're a sinner, you're lost, you need to be found. The good news is that Jesus Christ lived, uh, died, and was resurrected. That's the gospel, that's the good news. So this morning, what I would like for us to do is talk about three pieces of good news that includes grace, okay, because grace is what the gospel embodies and embraces. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll look at three pieces of good news concerning the grace of God. The first piece of good news is found in verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians chapter 2, reads like this. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. In the King James Version of that passage, uh, it has the but and the God together. So it literally reads, but God who was rich in mercy. They kind of extend that it here. It, it says here, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. The first piece of good news about the grace of God is that the priority of grace is rescue. The priority of grace is rescue. That's what grace does. It rescues us. It says, but God, not your mom, not your dad, not some best friend from your childhood, not some experience from your past. He is the only one that can pull this off. Others may think they can help you pull it off, but in reality, it is only God that can do this. There are those that uh, volunteer, and give it their best shot to try to transform your life and to change you. But they cannot do it. It takes God to do it. When World War I broke out, former President Teddy Roosevelt went to then-President then President Woodrow Wilson and said to him, I want to help. I want to lead a group, a battalion. I want to serve. I want to be in the army. Woodrow Wilson looked at Teddy Roosevelt... Who had, you know, won great acclaim for San Juan Hill and all those kinds of things many, many years previous to that. And he said to him, he said, Teddy, my friend, you are too old and overweight to accomplish anything. And although his spirit was willing and his attitude was great, he could not perform the function that was necessary. And today there are many people with great ideas and great love and concern for you, but they are incapable of delivering you from your sin they are incapable of giving you the rescue the rescue that god provides you see the good news about grace is that we are not left in our sin we are not left lost we are rescued by the grace of god and notice right here it says the rescue comes because god loves us it says in the passage but because of his great love now to me that seems a little redundant doesn't it It's God that's loving, so shouldn't we assume it's great love if God's the one that's doing it? But he emphasizes the fact that it's God and it's a great love so we don't forget the magnitude of what God has done. Because remember, it was God who gave His Son to die on the cross for us. That's love. Love. There was a great theologian. His name was Karl Barth. And someone asked him after a lifetime of study and teaching God's Word, he was asked, what is the most profound truth you have found in Scripture? And Karl Barth replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The profound love of God. It is the reason why there is rescue. It is the reason why in grace he reaches out to us and he takes us to himself. It says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad it doesn't say judgment? It doesn't say God who is rich in judgment. It could say that because as sinners we have offended God and so He has every right to judge us, but it doesn't say that. Instead, it says that He is rich in mercy. And when we talk about mercy in the Bible, we're talking about not giving us what we deserve. The bad news is, as sinners, we deserve hell, death. But in Christ, He doesn't give us that. Instead, He gives us mercy, not giving us what we deserve. He rescues us. God is rich in mercy, great love, rich mercy. You see, Jesus proved in, in person Jesus came to earth, and in person, he proved that God loves people, not as a race or anything else, but as people, everyone. Jesus died at the behest and the request of God to give us mercy and to allow us to experience the love of God. St. Augustine said this, By loving the unlovable, God made me lovable. You see, what it is that happens is the transformation. We are rescued from a life of sin to be able to live in a world and have the opportunity to be blessed by God because of His great love and rich mercy. The mercy here that he's talking about is arousing uh, uh, an emotion based upon seeing a need. You know, it, It's as though God sees us in our lostness and He is moved by that. And he is moved by that. And there is an emotion in that. God loves us and is full of mercy. And he wants to help because he sees the need that we're in. Uh, My wife and I, when we first got married, we moved to Winona Lake, Indiana. And we lived in an upstairs apartment of a house. And um, it was right across the street from um, Winona Lake. And so uh, oftentimes uh, I would walk that area and walk past. And the lake was there and it was beautiful and all that. Well, what had happened is they had a convention in town. It was the uh, Christian, Mu- um, Christian Magicians Association or something like that, because in Winona Lake there's all kinds of uh, big buildings and things where they can house these kinds of conferences. And so I was walking by one day, and there was a crowd standing on the beach, and it was kind of a cool day, you know, the wind was kind of blowing, and the water was a little choppy, and there was a pontoon boat out in the water, and there was a guy on the pontoon boat that was looking, like looking for someone in the water. And so when I came up, I, I was like, what, what's happening? And the guy said, some guy uh, put handcuffs on and jumped over the side of the boat. And now they're looking for him because he was going to do this big escape and he was practicing for this big escape. So I stood there for a while and the guy kept in the pontoon looking and looking and and the boat, he's kind of moving it around, looking and looking. And the people on the shore are like, you know, wow, the, the water is so choppy. It's so broken up and everything. Like one guy goes, I can't. I'm, he goes, my heart's broken for this. And he goes, but I, but I can't swim. And then he's, all this, well, then the rescue shows up and all that. And unfortunately, the guy did not uh, he got caught in a shoal when he dove over and he couldn't get back up. But the, the reason I share that for you is because we sometimes are moved with emotion, but we can't do anything. You know, in our own sin, in our own struggles, or we see someone in sin and struggle, and there's nothing we can do for them. We feel badly for them. We have a great sense of love and compassion for them, but there's nothing we can do. But with God, that never happens. He never looks at us and feels so badly for us and then says, boy, I wish I could help. Instead, he says, here I am. Here I am to rescue you and to save you from your sins. He says this. He says, we were dead in sins and God made us alive. He says, in verse 5, he says, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. Because of sin, we're dead. Uh, If you uh, think of this this afternoon, you should take the time to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and it will paint a giant bullseye on us and show us why it is that we needed the rescue that God can bring. And, And he talks in these kinds of terms. He talks about us being dead, and the only thing that helps death is life. And he says that life comes through Christ. He says he made us alive with Christ. With Christ. Uh, When I was in high school, I worked at a hospital. And uh, I was an orderly, and my job was to do whatever nobody else wanted to do. And so uh, one of the things they taught us at the very beginning was this thing called Code Blue. I don't know if they still do this, but uh, Code Blue was... Uh, it's a heart attack or something like that's happening. And whenever you hear code blue, it's your job as an orderly to get to the room as quickly as you can and get everything out of the room so that they can bring in the crash cart and all those kinds of things like that. And when I was working, they called code blue. And when I got there, I start moving things out. And uh, the doctors come in and they bring out the paddles and, you know, just like you've seen, and they start giving an attempt to bring life back into this woman. There was no discussion about, you know what? If she lived in a nicer neighborhood, maybe she would be better off. There was no discussion about, you know what? If she had some nice clothes or if someone would do her hair or maybe if we would provide for her a marvelous meal, she would be better. Nobody said that. Instead, they wanted to bring life into her. They wanted to try to bring life back into her. And that's what happens to us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and then we are made alive with Christ. It is because of the death that Christ experienced And the power that he presented in overcoming sin and death That's the power that enlivens us and brings us back to life There is nothing wrong with philanthropy and doing good things for people What Matthew 25 does in taking supplies That's not what I'm trying to belittle here There is a place for that, but more importantly, what people need is life. And we have that life-giving property in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died. That's what we need uh, to bring Christ into this. God can close his eyes, you know. God could close his eyes, and he could pretend that you never sinned. He could do that. He could say, you know what, I don't even see it. But you see, the integrity of heaven is compromised if he just closes his eyes to sin. And and sin would be encouraged. You see, if if God is willing to ignore sin, then sin on. But he's not willing to ignore sin. Instead, what he does is in Christ, he puts all of our sin upon him, and Christ dies and makes payment for that sin to uh, to give us rescue from our sin. In in seven verses, in Ephesians chapter 2, in the the first seven verses, five times Christ is mentioned. He is the deliverer. He is the rescuer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, For he hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, on the cross, God treated Christ as if he personally committed every sin ever committed by ever, every person who ever lived. And he took that for us. You see, we have grace because of Christ. We have forgiveness because of Christ. We have new life because of Christ. Made us alive with Christ. Christ. Uh, There is nothing arbitrary. There is nothing cheap about God's grace. It was paid for on the cross when Jesus died for us. This morning, and and forgive me, I have said this before, and and, uh, don't allow the familiarity of my statement to diminish it, but sometimes what happens is we get so caught up in where we were instead of what Christ has done for us. You now we become impressed by the sin and the failure, and we want to keep talking about that. Instead of talking about, Jesus saved me. The good news this morning is that grace has a priority, and that priority is to rescue you. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, just as an aside, when we begin to understand how much God has forgiven us, how can we possibly not forgive somebody who's offended us? That's really tough, isn't it? You know, you say, well, you know, you don't understand. (laughs) I don't. Because I'm overwhelmed by the fact that God continues to forgive me, so how can I begrudge someone else or hold a grudge against someone else when I have experienced this marvelous gift of grace? He writes like this. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. And he writes this in the perfect tense. And what that means is that there is a completed action. It says here, it is by grace you have been saved. That's a completed action. You've been saved. But because of the tense that it's written in, there is a continuing result. Okay, So you have been saved by grace, and there is a continuing result. And that continuing result is he delivers us by grace and enables us by grace to live. Uh, Grace is not static. It's dynamic. Grace brings us this opportunity to be rescued and to move forward into a new life. Uh, Gypsy Smith, who was an evangelist during the time of D.L. Moody, he was 87 years old and he had traveled from Britain to the United States. And when he was in the United States for his last trip, uh, someone came up to him and asked him this question, what is the secret to your zeal, enthusiasm, and excitement? Gypsy Smith did not hesitate. Instead, he replied immediately, I have never forgotten the wonder of it all. That became a a, a hymn, and the chorus goes like this. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Uh, Don't forget that. Don't get caught up in rehearsing where you were, but instead get caught up in rejoicing in what Christ has done in delivering you, in rescuing you from your sins. The priority of grace is... The good news is he rescues us. The second thing or the second piece of good news here is is found in verse 6. And he tells us that the good news is the purpose of grace is to reveal, is to reveal. Look at the verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He's revealing to us our position. He's revealing to us our purpose. There is a lofty status that is given to us as a result of God's grace. He says, in order that he might show. The purpose of God pouring grace is so that he can show us off to the world and show us off to those that need to understand that grace is available to them. Uh, Good news, bad news, right? Uh, The bad news, and I don't want to to be the one to have to tell you this, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it's not all about you. Now that's a message that's contrary to our culture today, isn't it? You should try to be in a classroom with 24 freshmen who all believe that. <laughs> but sometimes that's what happens, isn't it? We think, this is all about me. This is all about me. It's not, uh, that's bad news, but please accept the good news. He says to us, he, he says that he is going to give us and display us as a result of his incomparable riches expressed in his kindness to us. It is what God has done. He's the focus here. He's the one that's bringing deliverance through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one that is going to reveal to the world that He is a marvelous, gracious God who is willing and able to rescue us. That's what He wants to reveal. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And He says this. He says, this is not from yourselves. It's not what you have done. It's what God has done in you. It is what God does for us. In verses 5, verse 7, verse 8, all this grace is available to us. And how do we get that grace? Through faith, by trusting, by believing. You see, grace is the unmerited favor that we never earn, but God gives freely. Grace. Grace. Have you experienced the grace of God this morning? There's an old book, it's called Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you have read it. And in the the, the story, there is a guy, and his name is Christian. And someone confronts Christian and says, what was your name before it was Christian? And do you know what he says his name was? My name was Graceless, meaning I didn't have any grace. You see, when we call ourselves Christians, it's because we are full of grace. We have been given the grace of God. It has been poured out upon us. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith the, 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 the fathomless depths of God's grace is channeled to us by faith we, w- we went to uh, Lake Michigan one time uh, sorry I, I shouldn't have even brought up Michigan should I sorry sorry about that who, who beat them? M- Michigan State wow, wow that's a juggernaut uh, sorry about that Michigan But uh, anyway we were at Lake Michigan and my son and I we were building sandcastles in, in Lake Michigan and he decided to kind of go off you know, the topic of the day and that was to build a castle and he b- started to build a channel well when he started to build a channel I started to build a wall well he was building a channel into Lake Michigan right well I'm building a wall Well, all of a sudden, things begin to change and the water in Lake Michigan begins to fill his little channel and it's so overwhelming because of the vastness of Lake Michigan that it overwhelms my wall and my castle. And this morning, that's exactly what it is like. Our faith is that channel that locks into all of this fathomless, marvelous grace of God that washes down the walls that block us from doing what He wants us to do. For by grace... You have been saved. You see, this is not by works. He says that in in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, not by works so that no one can boast. Ben Franklin said this, right? A man wrapped up in himself makes a very small bundle. It's not about you or me this morning. It's about what God does for us, to transform us, to change us. Think about Hall of Fame speeches. You know, I, I enjoy listening to Hall of Fame. So the NBA or the Major League Baseball, they have the Hall of Fame, I listen to their speeches. And oftentimes the speeches talk about their abilities and their accomplishments. And, and I understand that. But you know what? When we get to heaven and we are asked, why are you here? Every single person will only have one answer, and that is God's grace. That's the only reason I'm here. The only reason I've made it to where I am is because of God's grace. The good news this morning is that grace has the priority of rescue. The good news this morning is that the purpose of grace is to reveal us to the world as trophies of God's grace. And please notice the third thing is the practice of grace. The third piece of good news is the practice of great grace. We have a responsibility. Notice the responsibility in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, the word workmanship is our word for poem. And, and, and so it's none of this roses, is, roses are red, violets are blue. I've fallen asleep. I hope he's through. You know, that kind of a thing. It's not that simple. It's more beautiful, magnificent. It's God that writes the poem. It's God that has created us and made us his workmanship. It says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There, seem, there, there cannot be this morning any mistake in, in the vitality that comes when we link ourselves in relationship to Christ. God uses the ones we never thought of to bring about change and influence. Think about who he has used. He used shepherds to announce the arrival of his son. And did you know that there's a Jewish prayer that says, Thank God I'm not a shepherd. But yet he chose the shepherds to do that. Think about uh, the fishermen. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says this about the fishermen. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, God used them. Because there is a vitality that comes when we link ourselves in relationship with Christ. The women at the tomb, you've heard this before, women were not allowed to testify in court. But yet, it is the women that God uses to make testimony to the greatest fact of history. Jesus is alive. Jesus, in His grace, uses us. He has created us to do good works. You see, when you start talking about good works, that makes you a disciple, not just a convert. You know, instead of saying, you know, I'm a convert... Well, you're more than that. You're a disciple because you're doing things. That's what a disciple does. A disciple learns from the master and then shares what the master has taught him to do. And that's what's happening to him. And, and he says here in this passage, you, you know, you may ask yourself, you know, what are, what are the good works? Well, notice what he says. He says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this morning, if you have experienced the rescue that comes as a result of the grace of God... He has revealed to the world that you have been redeemed. It is now your responsibility to embrace an understanding that He has something for you. He has something for you. He says that God has prepared something for you to do. That is why grace is so important. Because some of you might think, I've got nothing And it's because you've forgotten that the grace of God has prepared you for something. You have forgotten that the reason you have been redeemed, the reason why Christ died, was not just to allow you to buy fire insurance and keep you out of hell, but to give you a life of doing good things for Him. Let's go back to the opening illustration. My son Charlie and Adam, the Frisbees on the roof someone has to deliver and rescue the frisbee i climb up on the ladder i get the frisbee and i give it back to charlie and to adam and they sit down and all they do is say thank you dad thank you dad right no what do they do with the frisbee they have a blast with it they do something with it they do good things because that's what happens when the rescue takes place. The rescue happens, you give them the Frisbee, and they have the time of their life. You see, we were dead. Now we're alive. And we have been created to do good things. I, I, I don't want to dwell on this, but sometimes the reason good works elude us is because we have not experienced the amazing, wonderful, matchless, marvelous grace of God so this morning please ask yourself that have I experienced the rescue maybe that's the reason why I'm mired in what I'm in because I've not been rescued by the grace of God when my son was in fourth grade he was playing on a basketball team and things weren't going well he wasn't playing well he wasn't getting into as much as he wanted and all these kinds of things like that and so we were sitting in the basement we were talking about this And we were talking about his game, and I could tell things just weren't right with him and everything like that, and he was feeling very discouraged. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to encourage him. And I said to him, I said, son, I said, if I lined up every single fourth grader in all of the world, you would be my first round pick. That's what Jesus Christ does with grace. He says, you're my first round pick. I want you to serve me. And I've given you something to do. The good news this morning. The priority of grace is rescue. The purpose of grace is revelation or to reveal to others what God has done. And the third good news is that he gives us responsibility, the practice of grace, created to do good works. Now, think about this and follow me, if you would, as we conclude. If we were going to make a list of sins that were especially heinous, that you would say, boy, that's just that really borders on unforgiving. I think many of you would agree that human trafficking and enslavement, that's horrific. That's a terrible sin. You know, it's hard for some of us to believe that slavery even exists. But the United Nations, in its global uh, initiative to fight slavery, says that there's 2.5 million people in forced labor. Uh, There are 161 different countries that are said to be affected by being either a source or a destination for human trafficking. And it doesn't matter whether it's, it's a poor country or a rich country, there is no economy that is not affected by this kind of thing. And you're thinking, that is just awful. Here was a stat that surprised me about this, was that 50% of those recruiting victims are men, 42% are women, and the remaining 6% are teams of men and women that are taking these people into slavery and trafficking them. And and to me, that just seems like such a horrific sin. But imagine that to be your neighbor or friend or a member of your family. It's just beyond belief, right? Now, imagine this. What if that person involved in such an activity wanted to change his or her life? Would you say to them, Jesus saves Would you accept them? Would you explain to them that God's grace is sufficient to change them? Would you say to them, You're welcome here at Grace Chapel? Uh, I I realize that as you sit there, you may think, You know, that's really pretty unlikely. That's kind of a crazy hypothetical uh, a, a slave trafficker becoming a Christian. But have you ever heard the name John Newton? Uh, John Newton, he was a slave trader from England in the 18th century who would capture people and sell them to plantation owners. He worked his way up in the business and eventually became the captain of his own slave ship. But God got a hold of his heart with the combination of two things, a wretchedly wicked storm that shook him to his core and a book called The Imitation of Christ. And before his, his death, John Newton became an evangelical church leader. He hung out with the likes of Charles Wesley, John Wesley. He was a, a part of a team that helped fund George Whitfield and, and, and fund Wilbur, Wilf, Wilberforce in his uh, attempts to, to end slavery. And before his death, Newton asked to have this, this inscribed on his tombstone. The tombstone says this, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. And by the way, John Newton is the one that wrote the beautiful words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. The grace of God, that's good news this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, and thank you for the way in which you are able to use your word to overcome our words. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored by the way in which we embrace the truths of Scripture and live them out as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.